Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends and how they define the world around us. Episode 42 here at the department. Uh, in this two-parter, we're sort of setting the foundations to talk about some actually interesting topics uh, of the new definitions and how we place value on things. Um, our core values as humans were really disrupted over the last year. And what we as humans deemed as important found new meaning and new focus. Very exciting, a very exciting topic to dig into this week. Um, but, but before we do that, you know, please make sure to follow us on your preferred streaming service. We have some really cool things planned, and we don't want you to miss them. Obviously, also, <laughs> <laughs> we want to keep making content that you love. So we are taking requests for future trends, nostalgic trends, everything like that. Or if you want to talk talk to us more about something that we've already covered, you know, I know that Girl boss and hipsters are super popular. If you've got some trends that we missed, you know, and you want us to revisit or dig something up or just dig deeper into something, just slide into our DMs or tag us on Instagram if you see something. Uh, just make sure to follow us while you're at it. It's at underscore the underscore department. Or you can also email us or shoot us a call at our hotline, which you can find online on our website, thedepartment.world. Um, and as you're listening to these episodes, we want to know your values. So, you know, have you slid into any different types of values? Have you changed your habits or, you know, maybe noticed any different value changes and trends around you? Um, so please feel free to call in with your stories that we can feature. Yeah. And speaking of stories and messages, in last week's episode, I asked... And I'm, I'm excited that I got a mm -hmm. response. Um, if anyone had, you know, possibly scored a date, had some romance from an app or a platform that is not, you know, intended for dating. And <laughs> I have to say, <laughs> I got so excited when <gasps> I got the notification about this message because it was an app that I wasn't expecting. <laughs> so I'm going to play the message. Um, this is from Elise. I'm Elise. I just want to say now. I'm so glad you called us. This is this is the story we needed to hear. <laughs> this is so exciting. Hi, Amanda and Kim. This message is for the department. This kind of felt like fate because I have this crazy dating story that um, I hadn't called about because it's not really about online dating. But since I just listened to today's episode um, where you were kind of talking about uh, platforms that weren't meant for dating but turned into dating, um, this really felt like fate. So my crazy non-dating app dating story is one time I ordered a pizza on Grubhub, um, and the, the kid who came and delivered the pizza, like, he showed up, gave me a pizza. He was super, super cute. He had, like, beautiful eyes and, like, a, a very, very cute smile. So I was like, oh, thank you. So then I went back into my apartment. And I see this text from the Grubhub number. So you know how, like, 
you you'll get that kind of like form text from Grubhub from the same number that's like, hey, this is so and so, like I left your order as specified, whatever. And it's oftentimes the same number, so you can look back and see, you know, like this is Amanda, this is Kim, whatever. So I get a text from this number, and it's this guy saying, hey, you're really cute, like we should go have some fun. And I was like, oh my god, like this is amazing. This is a miracle. So I like text him back and we were kind of like texting on the like weird Grubhub number. So basically I was like, yeah, we should totally go out. Um, and so my, the next day I was telling my supervisor about this and I was like, wow, like how crazy and amazing is it that this happened? Um, and she was like, that's really weird. Like you should Google him. And I was like, why would I Google him? This is at a point in my life when I did not find it necessary to Google people, and now I do. Um, So uh, I was like, no, I'm not going to Google him. Like, I'm just going to try to get more information. So I keep texting him, trying to get, like, a little bit more information. Uh, Maybe to just, like, look him up on Facebook or something. So he, like, wouldn't give me his last name or his age or anything. Um, So it was kind of weird, and I kept trying to press him, but then I felt weird and, like, stalkerish, so I stopped. Um... But he had, like, a fairly unique first name, like, not a first name that you ever hear. So I was like, anyways, so I finally decide, okay, like, it's kind of weird that he's not giving me his last name or his age or whatever. Like, he looked about my age, but, you know, I wanted to know. So I was like, okay, fine. So I let my my boss Google his first name for me with, like, the, the name of my city. Again, this is, like, a super unique first name, not something that, If you, for example, Googled, you would get, you know, a lot of results for. So we Googled it, and um, turns out we find an article, um, you know, this guy, first name, Worcester, Massachusetts, um, shows this picture, definitely the same guy, and it turns out he was arrested a couple years before um, for attempting to set his sister on fire with his parents and murder her. So, um, yeah, so I ghosted him after that, obviously, and then I got a few more texts from him um, being kind of, you know, creepy and wondering why I stopped texting him. Um, And I kind of, like, weirdly responded. I don't know why. Um, and just was like, hey, I just saw some stuff on the internet that I was a little bit worried about. And, like, he, he kind of, like, made some weird excuses. But I kind of feel like at this point, like, if you're making excuses for, like, a, <laughs> like, a, an article about how you tried to murder your sister, like, we're, we're kind of past the point of no return here. Um, so, yeah, so that's the story of how I almost hooked up with an attempted murderer on Grubhub. Um, all right. Thanks so much. Bye. Oh my God. You can, you can see why I was so excited when I got this message. Oh and I, I texted Kim right away. I was like, we got a message about Grubhub. Oh my God. I didn't even know that you could actually communicate something different than just the, the whatever the Grubhub message was. I know. I know. Well, now you know. I, I mean, this is like, I, if anybody else has, you know, attempted or almost dated someone because of food delivery, you know, please let me know. This one seems kind of scary because they know where you live, you know? Well, 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that she told other people too. Yeah, yeah, you know, totally. I'm glad that this she is like a CSI episode. You know, someone could definitely do a <laughs> like an, a like a um, a true crime um, <laughs> show on this. Oh yeah, this is totally like like I mean I I know you don't really watch um, SVU. But uh, this season in particular, they've been really trying to rip stuff directly from the headlines. And I could totally see this happening where, like, someone gets something delivered, a pizza, but it won't be Grubhub. They'll give it a weird fake name, like Food Crew or something, mm. something terrible. And then, you know, they ended up getting murdered. Like, this is so yes. something that would happen on that show. Um, but I'm really glad that Elise Googled him I'm because so this, is, this is an argument for why you should Google every prospective date. And I'm so glad that he had a weird name, too. I know. That helps. I wish I knew it his weird name. Like, how weird was it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it must have been like, oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I actually don't know. All I can say is when I was listening to that message, I did not expect it to go the direction it went. I mean, you know, you you, you kind of were hoping it would go in some sort of strange direction, but that was actually really shocking. Yeah, yeah. And it that's was, that, that's like that's like what your mom that's like your mom's worst nightmare direction. You I know? know, I know. I hope Elise never told her mom about this. That's yeah, that's true. I hope <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Google every prospective date. Exactly. That's the rule. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I know you have a lot to cover today, so I guess we should just jump right in. Sure. Yeah. Well, so this <laughs> this is definitely a, a bit of an intense deep dive into, you know, values and worth and value, um, you know, trends that were happening slowly before the pandemic made really seismic shifts. And we saw a lot in regards to kind of like this recentering of what value meant to us and the demand for more values from mm-hmm like the companies and the brands that we, you know, that we shop with, Um, you know, consumers have had just a lot of time, you know, we've been in our homes nearly a year Mm -hmm. to actually research and explore, you know, uh, make more conscious choices, understand their part in this world and have a better understanding, even as to how the system works. It's like the great awakening of the consumer. Amanda literally has a whole podcast on demystifying <laughs> the fashion industry that basically is all about that. Yeah. It's a whole trend onto itself. It really is. I mean, and I have to say, a trend that I'm excited about. Yes. You know? I mean, and and it's it's just, it's, it's bubbling up all these feelings in so many people. Like, people are stumbling on your podcast. I mean, I see, like, I see what people say on your, um, on your Instagram posts, and people are just so excited to finally have some sort of clarity and have someone speaking sense to them. Well, and I think, you know, you and I were talking about this before we recorded, the conceit of the millennials, which we've talked about mm-hmm. here before, is that millennials really care about issues, right? Like every trend forecasting summit that I've gone to in my career has been like, these millennials are different. They care about issues and they only want to buy from brands that, you know, do the right thing socially. And I mean, that's just not true. It hasn't been true so far. Like, yes, there are some people of all generations who care about that or cared about it in the past, but 
fast fashion wouldn't have taken off the way it did if millennials hadn't been spending their money on it. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, millennials. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure most of you are aware of Clothes Horse, the podcast, but if you are not, you know, check out Amanda's podcast, Clothes Horse. I'll say it again. Um, it's amazing. You know, this is she just has deep, deep div doven. What is it? Deep divined. Deep divin into <laughs> <laughs> into the system itself. And it's just incredible what she has been doing. She's created basically an entire movement around this oh stop you're making me it's, embarrassed oh my god it's no it's, fa- <laughs> it's fascinating you know and so we're going to be looking at this as a value shift kind of in the lens um of the trends and how it's affecting us and our zeitgeist mm-hmm. um so amanda definitely will have a lot of um, oh yeah i'm a, so a excited for thought. us to talk about this because yeah. you know we think about value being about price, right? And for a long time, it has. And I'm excited that we're finally thinking about value as more Mm -hmm. than just how cheap or how expensive something is. Yeah. And it is a long way coming. You know, there, I will be talking about value for dollar in a second. Um, There is a growing trend of people actually finally understanding that it's not just the price point anymore. Mm-hmm. And that you know that you're that the dollar can go a lot further, you know, if you're investing in something, you totally. know, that you believe in. Um, so I really did dig through a lot of rather dry and actually not so dry reports to really enlighten <laughs> and get you all thinking. Guys, we do the work f- exactly. so you don't have to. Because trust me, when I had to read all of that data about online dating, Oof. I was like, whoa. It's just like super industry. <laughs> it's really like, it's really, it's it's really for people in the industry for like the consumer data trend marketing, you know, like it's not that. <laughs> it's for people, you know, to, it's for brands to help them understand how to communicate with consumers. But one of the reasons why we do this podcast is so that we can talk about trends for 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 everyone, you know? Because yeah, I don't think people yeah, really talk about yeah. it enough. And I think it's just so fascinating. Um, um, so, you know, basically, we'll be talking a lot about how our values help us make decisions emotionally and financially. Um, and so this is really just a highlight reel. You know, we could actually probably go on days and days and days. Uh, and I know that there's probably oh, for sure. ample elements that I haven't even touched upon. And you are welcome to call in call me out on anything. Um, so this, <laughs> this, so this first episode is really about, um, val value and worth. And the next episode will be about values and like brand values. So don't worry, we will be talking about the values of the brands, um, next episode. So don't, don't worry. Um, don't worry. Don't worry. I'll be getting to it. Stop worrying. It'll be fine. <laughs> Google everyone you're going to go on a date with. I'm just going to say that periodically. Exactly. (laughs) Google everyone that you're going to go on a date with and values is coming on the next episode. Um, (laughs) So the first value I'm going to talk about is the value for dollar. Uh, Now, value for dollar will always be super important. There is no denying that. And the last year, it has been so much more vital than ever. When COVID hit, we fell right into a shocking and turbulent recession that made financial insecurities extremely important. 
NPR reported in March of 2020, so this year, that in February, more than 4 million people had been unemployed for six months or more. A surge. Yeah, this guy <laughs> exactly. right here. So we're yeah. talking to one of the 4 million. Um, and that's a surge of 3 million over the past year. Um, so those who are long-term unemployed accounted for 41% of all unemployed people in the United States. Levels not seen since the height of the Great Recession. So value for money, particularly on essentials, became the utmost of importance. People really have shifted their behaviors. You know, during the pandemic, cooking at home became kind of a necessity for a while. And then it became a habit. And it became actually something that showed a lot of value. Choosing generics, even just going to Smart and Final for bulk, actually became something that people started doing. There's this Accenture report that confirms that during the pandemic, 29% of shoppers increased purchase of budget brands. So 29% of shoppers started buying more budget brands. 10% increased their purchase of mid-range, but 42% decreased purchase of premium brands during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So you see this crazy shift of people just going towards more value for a dollar during the pandemic because there was so much financial insecurity, even, I mean, really, it was at every single financial, like at any, you know, any household income level was shifting because of insecurities. Amanda, did your household make any specific changes during this time? Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, we relied on my income. So we moved to the country. Uh, Dylan couldn't go to college. Um, We definitely, I mean, I will say that I am actually a very thrifty person, and I think that stems from coming from a lower class background. So we've always been buying the value yeah. brands yeah. of food and stuff. But I mean, we we definitely, you know, we reevaluated mm-hmm. things for sure. Yeah. So then another point of, of view, and we've actually talked about this before, um, splurging a little for something that brought you more value in terms of multi-purpose use. So like a multi-purpose three-in-one makeup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I feel like for me, the thing that like I really had to reevaluate was the sort of like mm-hmm. impulse purchases I would make around grooming. Yes. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, like buying an eyeshadow that I'm going to wear one time yes. ever or, you know, I mean, I've got my skincare regime on lockdown. You certainly do. You can go back to our episode with Ty, but yes. like- even still before I would impulsively purchase things sometimes just because I'd read about it on like refinery or something. And then, right. Yeah. And then it would just be in my medicine cabinet. So I haven't been doing things like that. You know, I barely have purchased anything from say Sephora since the pandemic began and I actually don't miss it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's also easy when you're not really leaving the house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I still, I mean, I'm just going to tell everyone here. I put on makeup every you day. Do. I do I my hair and I put on a dress. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you do. You're so much better at it than I am. It helps. You know what? For me, it helps me. It helps my mental health. Like mm-hmm. honestly, it's just, it's just helps me feel like okay, I'm going to go do some work now. You know, I'm ready for anything, and it has helped me have some normalcy. Mm-hmm. Definitely, the first few weeks of the pandemic, 
I was like lounging around in like my pajamas, mm-hmm. you know, and I felt like shit and I looked like shit. And I, I was like, you know what, if I just took a shower every day and like put on, like did my eyebrows, I bet I would feel better. And you know what? I did. Yeah. That I should do that. I feel like I need that. I'm actually, I have it a helps. haircut coming up. It's my first haircut oh. in like a year and a half. Oh my God. So excited for you. So another big movement around value for money but also really value for a lot of other things, uh, which we will get into, is something near and dear to Amanda's heart as well. Um, re-commerce that can't stop and literally is the best bang for the buck. Um, mm, yeah. <laughs> the price of a product changes significantly if it has been passed hands even one time. So I was actually curious what the value model was for re-commerce because I just I wasn't really familiar with it. And I'm sure actually a lot of people on the pod will already know this because, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, participate in re-commerce, but I had no mm-hmm. idea. So I did some little, re- some little digging. So if anyone mm-hmm. doesn't know, I'm, I'm trying not to woman-splain this. Um, <laughs> I was really excited to learn that there was something called the 50-30-10 rule. Um, so generally, resale experts recommend pricing items at half their original cost, so 50% off if they are fairly new, and then price the price drops to 30 to 25% off the original price if anything is a few years old and slightly used, and then 10% for anything else. And then technology, of course, uh, is, you know, it's, it's like out of date or anything, has totally different standards since innovation oh, yeah. is more important than newness. But it is interesting to see that just as an informed and savvy consumer, you have an opportunity to save 50% for a nearly new product and 70 to 75% for a gently used one just if it's passed hands once. I mean, that's that's just crazy value. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy. I'll see people on Poshmark, Mm -hmm. for example – relisting something that they bought secondhand on Poshmark. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if they never wore it after they bought it, which happens, you know, like you're like, get it. And you're like, oh, it's the wrong size. The value of it is just gone. Yes. Even though nothing about it changed from when they purchased it. Yes. Value. The second it goes into someone, a consumer's house, the value is slashed in half. Yeah. it's, It's wild. That's just wild. Um. And so, of course, we have a lot of listeners who are really active in this community, and it's one of the biggest consumer um, trending movements out there. This is not a surprise. Uh, A Forbes article called, There's a Quiet Revolution Underway with Recommerce, you know. For, so for Forbes, it's a quiet revolution. For us, it's it's a very loud one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it says, research firm Cohen now predicts re-commerce, including resale, rental, and subscription models, will account for 14% of the apparel, footwear, and accessories market by 2024, up from about 7% in 2020. That is insane. 14% of the whole apparel footwear and accessories market i mean that's interesting to me because i read earlier um, maybe 
later last year, I guess, that before the pandemic, at least, mm-hmm. 75% of the clothing bought in the United States was bought from like TJ Maxx, Nordstrom Rack, Ross, uh-huh. like all of these off-price things. So that only left 25% of the market for all the other gazillions of brands and retailers out there. Now imagine that being chipped away at even more. But when when you know that statistic, you're like, no wonder the retail apocalypse happened. Uh It had nothing to do with anything that customers were doing. Except for shopping at TJ Maxx, I guess, because there were just too many brands out there desperately fighting one another, and none of them had any differentiation. Uh-huh. Absolutely, that is so a what really will happen now. Such an interesting if, point. Like, what will happen now if if we're chipping? I mean, listen, I think it's amazing. I preach the secondhand first model mm-hmm. nonstop. I'm challenging myself to not buy anything brand new other than like personal care items, you know, underwear, things like that in 2021. And it's actually been like made me more stylish than ever, I think. Absolutely. Um, But, and, and, you know, more and more people are getting into it, which is exciting. But it does make me wonder what's going to happen. Like, what is is Zara going to get into the secondhand business now? Well, it's not Zara who's going to go out of business. It's going to be like those random places you never think about, like Aeropostale. Are they still around? Or like, uh, what's another, you know, like branch you haven't thought about for a long time? I mean, a lot of them are actually adding these like, these secondary portals to their sites. That is like a re-commerce portal where consumers can then add their the products that they bought mm-hmm. that are verified that are like their brand. So that they can uh-huh. resell them through that portal. But I just wonder how viable of a model that is for the retailers. I mean, listen, I don't care. Like, (laughs) I just want people to not buy so much new stuff and like wherever they get it. And I'm not like sad if like, uh, well, I know Ann Taylor went out of business anyway or something. But you know, like, I, I think that this is an amazing thing, but it's, it does mean we're going to see a lot more places close. And I think Mm -hmm. that's okay. Because after I read that statistic about off price, I was like, how have they been hanging on for this long? Exactly. That's wild to me. That is wild. <laughs> I know. I also like I don't really shop at off-price stores, not because I'm like opposed to it. It's just like it's not convenient to me, mm-hmm. you know? Um because you have to like go and dig and like, you know, I'd rather go to a thrift store mm-hmm. if I was going to do that, but I think it's interesting that they're winning the battle. Yeah. And and that's a, I mean, that's a value for dollar thing. People really love yeah. the the it's it's they like they like the cost savings mm-hmm. and the concept of it, but they like they want the newness. Yeah. So, you know, what's what are they usually saving? What do you know what sort of like percentages they're usually saving? Is it like is it usually like thirty or forty percent off? Well, the thing about the off-price retailers is that there was a time when most of the inventory would really be like close out, overstock, that kind of stuff. But these retailers have – there's so many of them now. Yeah. Like there's a Nordstrom Rack everywhere. You know, there's a TJ Maxx. We have all of them out here. And they their inventory needs are so massive that now, yes, they still buy oh. a little bit of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But a major part of the inventory is actually made for them. Yeah. 
So it's not – they'll have those, like, compare at tags yeah. on it. It'll be like, look at these leggings. They could be $40, but we're going to charge you $9.99. But those leggings aren't for sale anywhere for $40. Totally. They, they aren't. They're only at TJ Maxx or something. They're exclusive to them. And they were engineered to sell for $9.99. So they're not – they're not a $40 pair of leggings. Like, so the value isn't there. Yes. I actually used to work at a off price that did that. Oh, that's right. You did. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's super scammy. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't shop there if that's where you like to shop. But I think that's a way in which customers are being manipulated into thinking they're getting this great value. And they're right. actually not. They're just, they're getting a $9.99 pair of leggings. They were always right. going to cost they're that price. They're getting a brand name, but they're getting the off-price, lower-quality right. uh, line right. that's been developed for off-price. So it'll be cheaper fabrics, mm-hmm. cheaper trims. Yeah, you know, maybe the fit's going to be a little weird. And I think that's a you know that's such an interesting thing when you talk about value because if you ask the average person why they're shopping there, they're going to say, "Well, because you get good deals." You know, that's the value, right? But it isn't. It's not. No, you're just getting it's just a it's just a dupe. Yeah, yeah. And I I just want to say that I didn't know that I I had a, an inkling of it based on some of the brands that I had seen in some of these stores, especially at Nordstrom Rack, that I knew weren't quote real brands and they were like from what they were what we would call at Nasty Gout downtown. So they were just like yeah. all these random fast fashion brands, but they would be implying that these were like designer boutique brands like on the signs and whatnot and so I had an inkling that it wasn't all adding up but man like digging into that was because I used to like really love Marshalls let me tell you (laughs) yeah a lot of people love a Marshalls yeah yeah and I would be like I am scoring so much like I I'm getting away with highway robbery all over here. Yeah. All these deals. <laughs> that's what they're trying to do. I yeah. Mean, that's like, that's like, that's the goal. Yeah. Of making you feel like you're just, you're basically like getting, yeah, you're getting away with this, this awesome load. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's just. Like I just made all the savings. I know. I know. And everybody, you know, we all love a deal. No matter how much money we do mm-hmm. or do not have. You, f- I mean, it. it's like your primal instincts are satisfied. Mm-hmm. When you get a deal and you'll buy something mm-hmm. that you might not even like because you're getting a deal. Yes, exactly. Or if it's on sale, I know if you ha- you've had this conversation that you're, you buy something because it's on sale. Yeah. And you don't even necessarily need it or there's a sale and you just shop the sale even if you don't even necessarily totally love something. Oh, but because it's the, it's on sale, you, you you're purchasing it. For sure. It. Think about all the times, like all the jobs you've had. I'm sure where uh, sale items weren't returnable, and the retailer's like, yeah. "Yes, I got rid of it." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. People just want sale. Yeah, they just want they want they want a deal. They want say they want dollar value. Yeah, they want to see it in a crossed out fashion. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a lot of other value definitions. Um, so there's this WGSN, which is like this trend forecaster, um, white paper called The Value Shift that came out in September of 2020 that discusses some of the challenging, I'm sorry, the changing attitudes of how we are kind of 
adapting our behaviors based on macro and micro effects of the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, social issues, environmental crises. And I pulled out a few of the concepts, but I really kind of molded them and trained them a little bit less in an industry reference and also put them more more for us to all kind of contextualize them as well as just develop it out more. So essentially, traditionally, you know, what Amanda already alluded to, the value of a thing has equated to its price tag, or, you know, as we just talked about. But now it really has shifted to what it's worth and the emotional aspect of the value. What else does it bring to the table? Safety, health, self-improvement, sustainability, all of these things have a higher worth and therefore value because our concerns have been gradually shifting over time. And really over this last year, we've seen certain other values starting to take precedence as our perception of what was valuable actually got flipped on its head. Um, So leaving the values of the actual brand for the next episode for next week, um, you know, people are rethinking value in terms of worth on so many different levels. And Amanda, please feel free to jump in, add different things here. I just, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want this <laughs> to go on for like five hours. So I, so I just, I just, I broke, okay. I broke down a few of them. Um, one of them is just quality, durability, and an investment, you know, into something that will last for years, possibly even something you could hand down. So the like the worth of something, the value of something, investing in a something that you know will just is is just so such a great quality of a product that it just it's it's not like fast fashion or it's not you know it's not an ikea furniture this is something that yeah maybe it is triple or quadruple the price but you're really investing in yeah i mean the that's that's a it. seismic shift because in the peak of fast fashion it was about buying as much stuff as possible right and the idea mm-hmm. was that everything was kind of disposable so it was so cheap that you know you would it, it was okay yes. if you only wore it once or twice. And you, so the, the expectation is that you would go shopping. You drop 100 bucks, you drop 50 bucks, and you come out with like a huge bag of clothes. And that's, that's in the mindset everyone was in. As much stuff as possible, mm-hmm. but not necessarily as much longevity as possible. And I do think right. we have such a skewed idea of how much stuff should and can cost that – we just assume if something is cheap, we should throw it away soon. We shouldn't wear it very long. We shouldn't care for it. And if something is more expensive, then it does have more value to us. If we're going to care for it, you know, we'll get it dry cleaned or hand wash it or whatever, and we're going to own it for a long right, time. Right. But I do. Oh God! Even I get so depressed about IKEA furniture because to most people, yeah, it's like a it's like Throwing starter furniture, out. and I would argue that maybe starter yeah. furniture is not a concept that should exist because it's huge and wasteful. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I think it applies to so many so aspects wasteful. of our lives, you know, cars, furniture, clothing, you know, what what mm-hmm. have you. We're always like, oh, this is just for now, but it will be replaced and tossed out when I have more money. And I also think, I mean, something that I have been yeah. talking about a lot on Close Horse is like, so many retailers are confusing us with price 
where they are intending to never really sell anything at full price. So when you see that full price on the price tag, you think it's an expensive like item that's going to last you for years. But it was never intended to sell at that price, much like the off-price stuff. So you might go see mm-hmm. a sweater that's $129, right? And you're like, wow, okay, well, this is a sweater I'm going to have for years. I'm going to pay full price for this. I'm going to own it. And then you wear it a few times and it's super pilly and pooling. At, yeah. And you're like, yeah, acrylic. but this was a yeah. $129 uh-huh. sweater. And I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm angry for you. But that sweater was intended to most of the time – sell for $40, you know, and, and so it, so the (laughs) margin, that's when you bought that sweater at full price, the retailer made like an 85% markup off of it because they were knowing that some people would pay that price, but most people would end up buying it on sale because we're addicted to deals. And so it makes it even harder Mm -hmm. to go shopping now and pick out what's going to have the best value for you. It's it's a really confusing yeah. game. <laughs> exactly. It's so confusing, which is why, you know, it's it's, it's sometimes better to shop smaller designers. Agreed, cuz they're not getting like some 90% margin. Don't play the games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or t- to really understand and really watch how how these brands are discounting things. You know, because you could you could you could see what they're doing. You know, you can see how they're playing the games. Um, they all they all they all, they're all comping similar sales. You know what I mean? Like every single year, they'll comp the same sales, right? Because um, they right. need to comp the same dollars. And then they're like, now we got to create new sales. Yes. So now it's Donut Day or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I, you know, and, and going back to this this conversation about the the. The starter furniture and like throw-out culture of like of, of furniture of, of huge couches and coffee tables oh. and things like that. Um, I do want to talk about maybe you know maybe on a different episode, which is the um, the furniture rental. This like create this trend mm-hmm. in furniture rental, which I which I, I definitely want to have an episode on it because I think it is really fascinating and especially my even my like shift of what I thought of that. I was like, oh god, that just doesn't that seems strange. To actually, that seems really nice not to have to own something um, mm-hmm. and to have to, to you know, t- to like to be able to like have a more cir- circular model and to be able to just replace things. And if I needed to move like like that actually is kind of nice. Oh, yeah. I mean, think of how much money that would save you to move yes. too, to not have to take all that stuff with you exactly. or dispose of it dispose eventually. Of but it. That- exactly. I mean, I I am so excited about the idea of furniture rental because I, I have seen so much furniture by the side of the road that came from Ikea. Oh, or yes. like I was telling Dustin that I was going to start a new band called Abandoned Computer Desk yes. because <laughs> now for some of you who are listening who are a lot younger, you're probably saying, what, a computer desk? Isn't every desk a computer desk? Ah, uh, But see, back in the 90s <laughs> – and I guess maybe the early odds. Your computer, you know, you rarely had a laptop and you had to have this special desk mm-hmm. some for some With reason. Whole, I had a normal so desk. That the, there, there's a hole so that you could put the, you could put you could put the cords through it. Remember that horrible and your tower? hole? It was like this plastic laminate top. 
Oh, all of these With computer the desks were made of like plastic wood. They were all hideous. Like there wasn't an attractive one yeah. out there. And it was also you could have your tower down below and that hole for all your cords mm-hmm. and a place for your monitor. And maybe it would have a little pull out for your keyboard and, you know, a shelf for your printer. And they were an eyesore. And when the era of the desktop computer went mm-hmm. away, you know, I know they still exist, but like how many people have a desktop computer? I don't even know anyone, <laughs> you know, uh, when that era ended, so did the the usefulness of these computer desks because nobody liked them in the first place. And that's all I see abandoned everywhere I go. (laughs) Someone who works at a thrift store out here was telling me that they're not even allowed to accept them anymore. That when people show up with them, they are like, nope, get it out of here. (laughs) That's like a major example of like, wouldn't it have been nice if you could have just rented some sort of special desk instead of having to abandon it on the side of the road? Exactly. Yeah. Well, that kind of takes us right into this next value, um, which is okay. sustainability of the product. And this also belongs in the sustainability of the brand values. But at the product level, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, a, pr- a product that is considered, quote unquote, sustainable uh, is considered more valuable. Um, you know, I know that there's this is always there's a there's a lot that, there's a lot of weight that goes onto this, but. Um, so a Nielsen report from 2015 shocked everyone. They said that 73% of millennials would pay more for a sustainable product and global consumers that actually dropped to 63%. But that's still a lot in 2015. It was like this shocking report that came out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember going to Magic and suddenly – Everyone had a yeah. sustainable capsule. Of course, it was all nonsense. Yes. But everything yes. was like $30 Nobody knew what it more. was. Yeah, nobody really knew what that nobody meant. Hear- and yeah. they still don't know yeah. what it means. <laughs> no, they still don't. They definitely don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I feel bad for all the sales reps who would have to try to sell that stuff. Mm-hmm. And like you would innocently just ask them like, oh, like what's sustainable about it? And it would be like, uh – it is, you know, like they yeah. didn't know either. No one knew. No one knew. Yeah. Um, so Gen Z, of course, is sliding in and eclipsing millennials as kind of like the green kids on the block, you know, and they too are now stepping up and demanding more green initiatives. And a, a more current um, report from 2019, First Insights, says um, – of Gen Z prefers to buy from sustainable brands. They also found that 50% of Gen Z and millennial consumers are willing to spend up to 10% more on sustainable products. And I think that it's a really interesting to note. You know, I've been working in sustainable and ethical product space for nearly six years. And I would say this is really kind of debatable. First of all, 10% more of what? Like fast fashion prices? Is that what we're talking about? You know, I mean, that's that's a really good call out. Well, I mean, I would assume that Gen Z has less money than the millennials because they're younger. Um, And I do see a lot of squabbling on Instagram over pricing of vintage. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know, but I mean, 10% is like nothing. Nothing. It's nothing. And 10% for truly sustainable 
products does yeah. not make I mean a right now product. in 20 yeah yeah in 2021 I mean maybe if not that I think this is like what Gen Z's agenda is per se but if sustainability sustainable processes became the norm then these things would be a lot less expensive yes. but right now all of it is more expensive because it's niche. It is. And demand is getting higher. So the it's causing the material prices to increase substantially. So even if you're trying to make sustainable goods, we are finding it is getting harder to be at an accessible level for younger customers who need it to be more affordable because they just have less disposable mm-hmm. income. Like that may, I understand why they don't want to be spending a ton of money because they just don't have a ton of money. You know, I don't like. So we young. know that they yeah. don't, we do the tr- we've done trend research on Gen, Gen Z and millennial. They just don't have the money. We understand that, but you know, like the demands there, but they can't afford it. Exactly, it's kind of like <laughs> it's this constant dilemma. Um, but they also are really they don't understand the true cro- cost of producing a truly sustainable product, and they will not pay for it. And they're very. They're very uh, finicky about it. You know, my wholesale accounts experience the same thing for millennial and Gen Gen X, uh, yeah, Gen X customers to boomers. Like mm-hmm. um, those consumers demand made in the U.S. products, but then they always gawk at the price tags. It's super common trait. Like it, we actually talk about it constantly. Like this is a very normal thing that they come in, they demand you have U.S. products, and then they will refuse to pay for them. <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting because like the intention. I mean, it's like what I was going back to earlier, where I said like, you know, all, all my whole career, I've been having to attend all these like trend meetings where it's like millennials care about issues yeah. and they. They want brands that are engaged in good work and sustainability. And then it's like, yeah, but then they just went on to Boohoo and bought 20 new outfits for their vacations. So I think everyone wants to do better, but hasn't, isn't, I mean, hopefully now people are starting to make that shift, but it's a lot to unpack because, I mean, you know, what we, I mean, I, and I always wonder, like, is it just because we've worked in the industry? But I don't think it is. I think it's because it's like a generational thing. Like, what you buy, what you wear, the brands you wear, like, that's who mm-hmm. you are. I mean, that's depressing when you say it out loud. Yeah. But that is what it has, that's, that's been the state of the fair for millennials, starting with the hipster exactly. era, you know? <laughs> you know, obviously, sustainable made in America products are oftenly inherently just at a higher price because the labor is so much higher and the cost of materials as well. Mm-hmm. I literally have to do training and education with our wholesale customers. Um, I have like one pagers. I have like, I have all of these <laughs> things with that are, that literally answer the question for them or help them answer the question when the consumer comes in the door, why is this so expensive? <laughs> Because that's that's the yeah. number one question that's asked by the consumer. Why is this so quote unquote expensive? Right, right. Well, I'm like, I man, I we just don't understand the value of anything anymore. Like why things cost what they cost or don't cost, because you know, we're 
I don't know, we're being tricked all the time. Like going back to like, you know, the prices on the tags at like a TJ Maxx that are like compare at $50, but it's $10. Then you're like, are leggings $50? Are they $10? I don't understand, you know? Exactly. Yeah, they just don't understand the value. Um, So Kearney, which is actually a European group, did this great research called Why Today's Pricing is Sabotaging Sustainability on the markups being seen Mm. in green versus conventional products, noting, and I quote, the production process for sustainable products is designed to minimize the ecological and social impact while still making them economically viable to produce. Um, there shows that s- sustainable products, which provide more environmental and social beliefs than conventional products do, are on average um, 75 to 85% more expensive, with the markups varying wildly depending on the category. The biggest reason the consumer will pay a premium for sustainable product is quality and safety in the form of healthy ingredients, mm-hmm. such as those with no hormones. Additional reasons mm-hmm. for it or additional reasons include superior product performance, organic ingredients, sustainable materials, recycled packaging, and social responsibility, such as fair farming. And Amanda, I put a couple figures on this document, which is kind of interesting to show the the different, like the actual differences of the price markups for sustainable products where, you know. Wow. This is wild. Yes. The differences um, and of how conventional products vary for with sustainable products. And of course it goes, um, baby food is like a 20% markup. Uh, milk is a hundred percent markup, and fashion and health and beauty is around a two hundred plus percent markup. Well, I mean, the stuff with beauty and mm-hmm. cosmetics does not surprise me at all because the markup on that stuff is insane mm-hmm. anyway. Because it's like the product itself is actually the lowest cost of the item. It's always the packaging. Mm-hmm. And the marketing yeah. and everything it's else yeah. that are really expensive. Um, and I mean, I've noticed that even like Ulta, who you don't think of as being like that on trend really, has like a clean beauty category now. Yeah. Like this is such a massive trend mm-hmm. that people will pay for, even though it's mostly like a lot of greenwashy, scammy mm-hmm. stuff. It's, it's same with, I mean, a lot, a lot of fashion as well. Oh, yeah. It's all nonsense. And I just wanted to say the thing with eggs is, like, so true. I'm glad to see that eggs is almost as high as beauty and health because, like, a a dozen, like, you know, cage-free organic eggs is, like, six bucks. Mm -hmm. It is. It is, like, six or seven dollars. It is. And I I buy it. I don't even know why. I don't know how much (laughs) regular eggs are, but I feel like they're, like, a dollar. They're – I mean, I think that regular eggs are, like, I don't know, two or three dollars. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And it it is interesting to see this. And I will definitely put this – I'll have it on our Instagram. So make sure to follow our Instagram. But I also have it Mm -hmm. on our website as well. Um, I also share their their breakdown of how people – how it's kind of grown of the amount people are willing to pay more over time as well as how much people are willing to pay. So it's grown – 
from 2013 to 2019. So 2013, only 50, 50% of the people surveyed were willing to pay more for sustainable products. Up to 2019, it was 80% of people. So a lot, you know, obviously a lot more people are willing to pay for sustainable products, but it still is, there's still just like, no one wants to pay more than 10%. It's 70% they, they saw will only pay 10% more. Only 70% of the people they surveyed will pay 10% more. Isn't that crazy? That is, but maybe it's because people are like, oh, it's so scammy. Like, why take the risk of spending more? I don't know. Maybe I'm giving too much credit here. But, I mean, in some regards, it is the, like, going back to cosmetics, like that, it just doesn't align with the value at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I I know that when we talk about, like, truly sustainable fabrics yes. and paying ethical wages, that is it more is. expensive. But then you have, like, places like H&M that are like, look at our conscious collection. Everything's, like, $10 more than our regular clothes. And then you look and it's all, like, a viscose poly blend in the first place. Right. Like, it's not. Yeah. Right. Well, this actually is showing something that's called the green gap, um, which is like Mm. an intention behavior gap, um, which they studied in America in 2013, and they have not reported on it really in a long time. But Kearney continued talking about it, and they have keep studying it in Europe, and it's just this huge thing still happening in Europe, which means that it's likely happening here in America as well. So even if consumers want to shop with sustainability in mind, many cannot afford or simply do not want to spend so much more. So this causes a gap between consumers' stated intention to act sustainably and their actual behaviors. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's showing basically these gaps in intention, like consumers are saying they are green versus consumers actually being sustainable and like buying sustainably. So they did this, this survey in Europe, and it was actually a lot of disparities from 26 to 48% gap amongst among, amongst these, these countries. I mean, I believe it mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, sense. it's about how much money yes. you have. But I do think that people are intrinsically good and yes. want to do the right thing, but they also need to survive. Yes. Not everyone can and buy really $7 need- eggs. Sorry. Right. What really needs to happen is we need to figure out a way to make mm-hmm. those eggs affordable, mm-hmm. you know, and they would be if raising chickens cage-free and organically was the standard. Yes. You know, but it's not. It's not the norm. It's an exception. And so it's more expensive. But if it were main, more mainstream, I guess, then it wouldn't be. And exactly. it's the same way with, like, sustainability. I'm using that yes. term in quotes yes, when we talk quotes. about clothing. Exactly. That exactly. if everybody – was using fabrics that were made using the least amount of water or made of recycled fibers or meant to last a long time and everybody who made them was paid a living wage, the price would even out. It wouldn't be the gap that we see right now. You would actually, you should check out this report, Amanda, because you might find it really interesting because they actually, they give some solutions, some real world solutions of like how they they can fix some of the gaps with Mm-hmm. A, a, a new sustainability, like innovative sustainability markup that mm-hmm. kind of, um, that, 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 that uses this like sustainable milk model that changes the way that things are marked up. And it's not, it's not basically marking everything up by percentage points. It's building it for a sustainable future. 
I mean, listen, that's what really needs to yes. happen. But can you imagine some of no. the places you've worked <laughs> being like, okay, instead of giving you, because yeah. like when you work as a buyer and you know you, you feel this to a certain extent in design and production too, every year your margin target is increased. And I can't believe how much margin targets have changed during my career. Yeah. You know, like, like we're talking like now it's like we want everything to have like an 84 markup yes. or something or higher. Means the quality I mean, is I going down. That we're 90. The quality is going down. It means people are being paid less and less to make those things. And you, the customer, are getting all the smoking hot deals all the time because they know that no one wants to buy anything for full price. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. So obviously, you know, this is you know, all these, you know, millennials and Gen Z, all their, their sentiments of like wanting to be green. It's, you know, it's causing a lot of brands to do the greenwashing initiatives and capitalizing these sentiments. I'd highly recommend tuning into Clothes Horse for more details on that. So we're not going to go super <laughs> deep into it. And it's also one of the reasons why e-commerce has become so popular because obviously a lot of these younger consumers now shop almost exclusively secondhand for apparel and footwear because it gives them access to not just higher quality products that they might not have otherwise been able to afford, but also things that can be can last longer, but also allowing them to minimize their consumption footprint. Mm-hmm. Because I do believe people really do care. Mm-hmm. It's just hard when you're also like, I also have to pay my exactly. rent. And I think, you know, that's that's a larger systemic yes. shift like Kim was talking about to make that more available. But I'm excited that people are leaning into shopping secondhand because there's so much stuff out there already. Like if you need a computer desk, <laughs> I know where you can find it. Everywhere. One. <laughs> Literally everywhere. Everywhere. Just walk outside, take a left, there's one. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think this is something that we've got to close that gap close because people want to do the right mm-hmm. thing. I know. But instead what's happening is that we're just greenwashing it and making it fake Fake yeah. good, fake sustainable. And I th- I worry that it's going to give people this like sustainability fatigue. Yes. They buy these like greenwashy things. Like you buy something from H&M that's supposedly conscious and you get it and it's all pilly. <sighs> you know, it doesn't last. And then you're like, oh, that's because sustainable clothes don't last. Yeah. So I should go back to buying my stuff at Forever 21 or something. Yeah. You know, that – I just worry about that because people – Get ideas like that. Yeah. Yeah. They have a bad experience. And there's like, well, why would I pay more and have such a bad, bad product? Or it's the or yeah. it's the same. I'm getting the same quality. I might as well just pay less. I know. See, and I just don't I don't think that these like brands and retailers that are engaging in that kind of behavior are seeing no. or maybe caring I don't think they even care. about it's, the it's full, really about yeah, the bottom line, honestly. It is, it is. And they like fuck the repercussions, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's that's a whole other I don't know if that's this this is close horse. This is turning this is close, close horse now. <laughs> but but uh, I mean it is something that I think about all the time. Like what's gonna be the tipping mm-hmm. point? Let's talk about it in terms of trends. Yeah. Is Gen Z gonna be the generation that finally is like, we're turning this upside down? Because the millennials for all their good intentions haven't yeah. yet. And maybe that's because we haven't had the same share of wealth that previous generations have had, although Gen X hasn't had it either. Gen X wanted to turn the world upside down too and couldn't succeed. 
Maybe all of us need to band together and just get it done. I mean, Gen Z, they have a different lens. They have a different perspective they're coming from, you know, than millennials. Like we are just, or they- Oh my God, dude, I I get so stoked when I hear Dylan and their friends talking about, you know, how fast fashion is so bad and like they won't buy it and secondhand first. Mm And I think that's amazing. That is amazing. Do you feel like because you have I feel like, um, uh, uh, any listeners that are Gen Z? Do you feel like you have a, a, a base? I think I have some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I have some. I think most of them, though, are millennials. And I think I think of millennials as the fast fashion generation. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is a great time for us to, like, hit the brakes and turn it around. Yeah. We don't want to be we don't want 50 years from now them to be writing books that are like, and then there was the fast fashion generation, you know, exactly. we got to We got to turn the tide yeah. now. We don't want that reputation. Exactly. Okay. Well, so the next value I'm bringing up is self improvement and self care. And this one is, Oh my God. Huge. This, yeah, dude. People I mean, think of pay for this one. They will. And I think of all the probably like weird health and wellness, oh self-improvement stuff you've spent money yeah. on, especially during the pandemic. Yeah. So <laughs> I know. much. I mean, in this, it did. It blew, it blew up. It was in every single trend report, you know, health and wellness, self-confidence, mental health, immunity, weight loss and fitness. We've talked a lot about these during the pandemic and how they dominated the pandemic. I mean, they are continuing to be just insanely important and big. And they 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 come with a higher value. People can it can just cost mm-hmm. a lot more. The next one is just new innovation of product slash ingredients or materials, you know? So you see this in mm-hmm. technology and skincare, uh, foods, like mood foods, which is kind of a hybrid of self-care and new innovation. These come with mm-hmm. more, much more value if it's like all the newness in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Remember when people – oh, my gosh. What was that? It was a couple years ago. It started with all like the tech bros doing it. It's this – Oh, Soylent. That's what I'm thinking yes. of. Like Soylent was like about the hottest today. newest innovation. Mm-hmm. I have friends who, I mean, pre-pandemic, I think everybody's lives have changed. Yeah. Maybe there's a move away from Soylent. Uh, people were living on yeah. Soylent so they could get more exactly. work done. That's a whole thing right that's there. Like, yeah, but, that's like bro boss culture. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, I remember reading that Soylent, when you first start drinking it, gives you really painful gas. Oh, my God. <laughs> so anytime someone would tell me that they were, like, shifting into Soylent, that was the first thing shifting I would think about them. And I'd have into Soylent. Oh. Yes. And I would just be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, listening to them talk about it. But all I would just think about is, like, you're, you're in for it. Oh. <laughs> Yuck. But it's this whole idea of like you're hacking your body. You're like overcoming nature. For hustle culture. That's what it's for. Right. Your sheer will and determination is overcoming nature. Oh. What is it made with? Was it soy? Chemicals. I don't – I mean maybe somewhat. I mean it's like – it's just – it's just not good. But like that shit's not cheap. No, it's not. And – I'm sure the markup on that is wild. Yeah. It's, it's plastic bottles too, right? Oh, I think so. so I gross. mean, it's just not – just don't do it. It reminds me – honestly, guys, 
there was a period in college where I was like, you know what I do now? I just drink canned Slim Fast. That's what I do, and I don't eat food. I definitely have an eating disorder, but it's not We've because it's all Slim Fast. Been there. Oh, We're like, I'm going to try I one of these like, shake meal replacement things and see what. This, yes, and it's just this weird misery. They're so expensive. Yes. They upset your stomach, and you know you're tired. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like in college, you'd pay a premium to go get that canned Slim Fast at the deli. So. People will spend money on that. If you can convince someone that they are somehow improving themselves mm-hmm. and sort of overriding nature via innovation, yeah. they will open up their wallets oh, right no, away. Yes. Absolutely. Um, the next one is comfort and safety. So the value of comfort mm-hmm. and safety for you and your family became unbelievably mm-hmm. important and valuable during the pandemic. Either comfort apparel too, you know, cozy bedding, even comfort foods were trending up. The Wall Street Journal reported about how Americans stockpiled DiGiorno pizza. (laughs) Stuffers. Of all things. No, that was like one of the biggest trending frozen pizzas. Because frozen pizza, you you couldn't get frozen pizza anywhere. Like it was just, it was, they cleaned house when the pandemic happened. No, it's true. It's true. We, that was something that we would always keep around for like food emergencies. Like shit, it's, we were out late. Now we got to eat. And it was like nowhere to be found. Stover's frozen meals and Hot Pockets sandwiches also were like, they were (laughs) clear out of them. (laughs) No, it's you know what I was telling my in-laws, my in-laws are visiting right now. I was telling them about the day before everything uh-huh. kind of shut down last year. You know, they sent us home from work and they were like, "Listen, you know, tomorrow we're not going to come into work." And then no one came into work again. And Dustin picked me up from work and we were like, well, "We should go to Target." I was like, "I just feel like things are about to get really weird and we we need a few things, so let's just go." And it was like so terrifying, yep. Kim. And in the food section, every food had been cleaned yes. out. Like every yes. can of Campbell's soup, all of the hot pockets, and, and <laughs> everything. Every, all of the convenience food mm. was all gone. There were no Pop-Tarts, Uh-oh. no cereal. But then there would be like fresh produce. Yes. I was just going to say, you, know? you could get fresh produce no problem. Yeah, but no no Hot Pockets. And do you remember it was actually impossible for, I would say, a month or two? No, maybe two months, maybe even three months to get yeast and all-purpose flour because everyone was making sourdough. Oh, my gosh. I know. So we've been on such a journey, guys. Oh my, I kind of think we should do a nostalgic <laughs> – too soon. Too soon. Too okay. Soon. In, but, a, in a year, but, we'll look back and we'll do the trends that – I think that's a good idea because there were trends of this time last year that have already come and gone. Like a lot of people stopped baking, mm-hmm. right? It, like I barely see that anymore. Mm-hmm. Then do you remember the coffee – Oh, yes. That was like a TikTok we, coffee. We talked about remember it Remember that? Mm-hmm. Gone. No one talks, no one talks about, about it, it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> There were just so many things like that. Remember Tiger King? Yes. Gone. gone. No one talks about it. Yeah. No, just gone. Because it was the only thing that was really on when it was hap- when this was happening. <laughs> I know. I know. Gone. gone. No, no one thinks about it anymore. And I just think it's so I know. Funny. We have to like, go back into all the articles about the crazy trends where everyone was just stuck at home 
and just t- making TikTok videos of themselves. I think there was like, oh, they were like wearing wearing pillows. There's like a period when people were just wearing like duvets. Oh, <laughs> yes, that's right. See, oh my God. And that was only a year I ago. I think, wow, yeah. Okay, maybe in six okay. months we'll do a nostalgia episode because it is funny how many trends we've seen come uh-huh. and go. <laughs> In a time where people couldn't even see each other, mm-hmm. we saw all these like <laughs> rapid fire, short lived trends. <laughs> I was even reading how everyone went and adopted a dog. Yeah. And now that the pandemic is ending, <gasps> which what are they going to do? I say that in quotes because it's not a, they're giving them back to the Shut shelters. Up. Yeah. It's like, and now there's the trend last year was to adopt a dog. Now the trend is to give it back. Oh my God. God. Doesn't that make you want to go fight someone? That makes me so sad. It makes me so sad too. Anyway, we're digressing. Yes. We're going off the rails. Sorry, guys. I mean, that but actually- if you have a if you have a trend yes. that came and went from the pandemic, yeah. call us and tell us Please, about it. Call us because we'll we'll stockpile these. We'll just stockpile them. Just yes. just like just like yes. hot pockets. Just like hot pockets. I do I'm remembering now that Dustin managed to score. Like I swear to God, Kim, it's like a 10-pound bag. <laughs> Of pizza rolls. <gasps> yes. Of which Totinos? they have been eaten. Yes. yes. I yes. Love those. He was like, because it was like we hadn't seen anything like that for so mm-hmm. long. And every week I'm like, hey, don't forget you have 10 pounds of <laughs> Totino's pizza rolls in there. <laughs> every week. Mm-hmm. They're still in there, guys. He's eaten them mm-hmm. twice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that actually brings me right into convenience. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you remember? We actually kind of were just talking about this, but do you remember any other instances of having a hard time just getting anything else during the pandemic? Dude, everything. <laughs> like, remember when cleaning products just didn't exist yeah. anymore? Yeah. Or the toilet paper? Yeah. And oh, it was so bad in Philly. Do you, did so you bad. did you do like any of like the Amazon Primes or Whole Food Primes, whatever? We. I tried to do Amazon Prime, but even Amazon, mm-hmm. you have to like didn't have things either. Like I remember Amazon did not have cleaning products forever. Yes. And then slowly stuff started to appear, but it was like super, super jacked hard. up pricing. And so what we were doing is we were driving to Jersey because the stores That's there right. were doing a little bit better, but they still, I mean, like you would go to the Target. And you'd go to the cleaning section, which is, you know, like, I don't know, maybe like three aisles normally, empty. Yeah. Just like nothing. Yeah. And like maybe they would have gotten in like some toilet cleaning gel and there would be a sign saying you could only buy one. Like <laughs> it was it was really wild. Like the things that we just couldn't get that we took for granted before that. Yeah. I wonder if it's going to be a trendy to be like a weird depression era Nana after this. Because remember like – the people who grew up in the Depression were very thrifty and took nothing for granted. Yeah. Like, are we going to be like that I think now? so. I think people definitely look at toilet paper and yeast in a much different way. Stock up, guys. Much different way. Very, like, we appreciate yeast. our toilet paper in a totally different light than we actually ever have. <laughs> I know I do. Yeah, I do I think that's really sure. important. Um, and, you know, and we all need more and more convenient things. I mean, d- during the pandemic, I remember, you know, I would order from Prime – and it was really hard to get a prime order in. Like mm-hmm. I would have to wake up at like four in the morning and place. Oh, it's the order. same thing with Instacart. Yeah, to place an order. It was like you you'd be like, oh, I can place an order for eight days mm-hmm. from now. Yeah, and you had to, like we'd have to go do all our grocery shopping for like a month, which is not how we've ever rolled. And 
we basically had to give up on Instacart because we'd wait and wait and wait for our chance to have an order. And then when it arrived, half the stuff wouldn't be there because the stores were sold out. And it was just, I was just like, we got to go do this ourselves. Like, you know. Just see what what else is there. Yeah, yeah. so obviously, you know, we all need more and more convenient things and innovation and on-demand, subscription, delivery, virtual, digital, everything. You know, time is so precious these days. You know, in January of 2020, so even before the pandemic, the NRT, the National Retail Federation, put out a report that talked about how people are busier than ever. And 97% of respondents backed out of a purchase because it was an inconvenience for them. (laughs) And 83% of consumers say convenience while shopping is more important to them now compared to five years ago. Oh, for sure. I mean, even pre-pandemic, we would sit in meetings. Some of the jobs I had had a very bad user experience for shopping on their site and they would lose people at checkout because they had to type in their credit card number. Yes. Like it could be that simple. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it used to be also that when I moved to LA, I was so used to New York where you didn't really have to pay for like like delivery costs in New York. But mm-hmm. here in LA, you have to pay these like weird fees for delivery. And I was like, I was like, I th- now you, you can like pay for the subscription mm-hmm. or whatever um, through like Postmates or whatever. It's just also kind of annoying, but it was always like, oh, I don't really want to get delivery because that's just stupid and, and like it's this weird upcharge. Now it's just like, all right, whatever, I'll just pay whatever. <laughs> just for the convenience. <laughs> like I will pay the surcharges just yeah, for convenience. Yeah. Like people will just pay. The value of convenience <laughs> has now just usurped yeah. the cost savings of things because people just don't want to be bothered. All right. The next yeah, one is localism. True. Um, So, you know, we have all experienced trauma, but also a sense of unity in many variations. And shopping local is something that a lot of of us encouraged over the last year. And hopefully this is something that we continue to be super conscious of, even if it has an elevated price tag, which it usually does, you know, because the value of supporting our friends and neighbors is just so vital And it continues to be. So Accenture reported that in 2020, coronavirus trends study, 56% of consumers are shopping in neighborhood stores or buying more locally sourced products. So with 79% and 84% Mm. respectively planning to continue with this behavior into the longer term. Reasons for this vary from actively supporting local stores or national or national products as a quest for authentic and artisan products. Um, So coming together to support anyone impacted and in need. I mean, have you been, have you been shopping at any of the local? I mean, I know that you do lots of local shopping. Yeah. I mean, we've, uh, we've definitely been really, really refocusing our spending that way. And it's, it's not always easy, you know, because like out here where I live, for example, stuff isn't open on Sundays. Um, a lot of stores are Oh my god, that's right. Yeah, so you're like, okay, everything has to happen on Saturday. And a lot of stores keep what yeah. you know what my mom would always call bankers hours, where they're only open until 5 or 6 even on the weekdays. And so 
we we oh, have to yeah. we have to change our behavior. You know, we have to say, okay, Saturdays when we run yeah. errands, we get up early, or like you know, we go out around lunchtime on a weekday if we need a hose or something like that. You know, like. Things like that that in the past we would have just like gone to Home Depot or like just ordered from Amazon. We are getting in the car and going to a store nearby. And I will say I always had mm-hmm. – I don't know. I think we all have this belief that local stuff always ends up being more expensive like from small businesses. And sometimes it is, but like not in a noticeable way. For example – I needed this special kind mm-hmm. of hose for my garden called a soaker hose. I'm sure you're familiar with this. You like plug it in like yes. – Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I was like – I couldn't think of what that was called. <laughs> so I had to Google it and I found one on Target and it was $9.99. And I was like, okay, well, if I can't find it at the Bird in Hand Farm Supply, I will just get it from Target. Like fine. And it, I went to yeah. Bird in Hand Farm Supply – Another plug for Bird and Farm Supply. That's where I see you saw the uh, tiny horse pooling the little wagon. Anyway. <gasps> the tiny horse, um, yes. It's an Amish business. The same exact hose, the same brand was $6.99. So it's not always more expensive to shop locally. And I think that's an illusion we have to get mm-hmm. rid of. Interesting. That is really interesting. I mean, that's a big saving. That's a really big saving. Yeah. Um, well, also coming together to support, uh, you know, anyone really impacted, not just by the coronavirus, but by other things, um, taking it a step further to specifically support minorities mm-hmm. like local black business owners or Asian owned businesses was something that like trended and continues to have like crazy trend support. And Forbes reported in September of 2020 that a report from Yelp showed that from May uh, 25th to July 10th, so right around the Black Lives Movement of 2020, there was a 7,043% increase in searches for Black-owned businesses on its platform. That makes me so happy. Yeah. I mean, I think that's amazing. And I feel like it is is becoming more of the norm. And – Mm-hmm. And I mean, the more we can like redistribute the wealth, the better. Exactly. You know, I I hope that this doesn't go away. Yeah, I mean, it 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 it. All the meters keep going. So there is um, a Google trends of people searching for black owned businesses that really peaked late May and early June. It did drop off. It is still. Um, a lot lower than it was during that the Black Lives protest, but it's still triple that of prior, you know, and wow. it's holding steady. And you can actually see the Google trends that I included here of what it's what I what I pulled of like what it was before Black Lives Matter and what it is currently now. It's just holding steady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's better for sure. My it's hope better. is that people found businesses that they're frequenting regularly and they don't need to search. But you know, yes. I think that's I'm glad we're talking about this because hopefully everybody who's listening is going to be like, oh yeah. Let's not let that be one other trend like that TikTok coffee that goes away. Exactly. Like, let's stick with this one. Let's like make this a habit. And you know, on the next episode, I'll talk we'll talk a little bit more about it and how the actual, you know, the companies and brands are kind of changing um internally to support black owned businesses. 
um, so that it doesn't go away. Because that is, that's, you know, that's how change happens. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so, you know, next week, um, unless Amanda, you have anything else to add here? Nope. I think we talked about it all. Cool. Cool. So next week, you know, we're going to talk about how values have become super important to our decisions to support brands. Um, And we're super excited to, you know, have you join in again and keep this conversation going. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be back next week. Awesome. Bye. Bye.